This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. I love this segment, warning signs. Now, wouldn't mm-hmm. that be great if we all heeded warning signs when we, you know, first of all, to be aware of them. Yeah. But there are a bunch, and I, lo- I think this is a really good segment, uh, warning signs of a debt problem that shouldn't be ignored. So, as I mentioned, I'm talking to Blair, who's Licensed Insolvency Trustee and, and Vice President at Sands & Associates, talks to people every day who are looking for solutions to better manage their debts. And you've got four warning signs that Mm -hmm. you say are clear indications that you've got a debt problem. Yeah, exactly, Elaine. So I'm really happy to talk about this segment today because there's two types of debt problems. There are some that can just arise overnight. You didn't see them coming. Sure. Um, You know, sometimes that's, you know, a divorce, for example. You might not have seen that coming, just happens. You know, a big balance owing to CRA, maybe something you had no idea was coming, you get the assessment, that's that. Or the other things like an illness mm -hmm. or, you know, sudden family emergency, that kind of thing, right? Yeah, a lot of those things, you know, typically what you're worry about in life doesn't happen. The things you don't worry about are what really impact you. So there are some debt problems that are sudden and you don't see them coming. But my experience is that the vast majority of debt problems, a lot of them tend to start as a slow build. So there are some warning signs. There are some indications that, hey, maybe things aren't going completely according to plan. Um, But if you ignore them, if you have, you know, some of my clients say, well, I just buried my head in the sand for a period of time. You know, you can miss them. And then suddenly when you pop up, it's not a warning sign anymore. It's this ringing alarm bell and your your house is on fire at that point. Exactly. Yeah, got it. Got it. Okay, so let's go through um, the four of them. What's the first one? Yeah, so the first one is just the idea of kind of what I don't know can't hurt me, and that, that's wrong. So <laughs> the idea is, you know, if you're avoiding your account balances, your credit account balances, um, that's a big warning sign that potentially you've got a debt problem coming. So how this tends to manifest or show itself is, you know, do you have unopened bills? Is there a stack of mail at home? You just don't want to open it, whether it's collection agency mail or, you know, even emails, you know what it's going to say, or you think you know what it's going to say, so you just kind of avoid it because it's bad news. Right, that whole denial thing that people, uh, and I think it's human nature, just that's their default. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you think if I'm not looking at it, it's not getting any worse. Well, that's the opposite of what happens with money problems exactly. because typically they don't get better. They get worse over time because the interest is working against you. Yeah. And if you're not opening your mail all the time, you might not even know if things have escalated. If you're being sued, if they're starting to garnish your wages, um, even if your bank has, you know, just taken a payment out of your account because you've missed one, if you're not opening your notices, you're not going to know that stuff. What are the other areas that we sort of ignore or delay looking at? Taxes are a big one. Um, and I know as soon as I say that word, some people have a visceral, physical reaction. Oh my God, my taxes, I haven't filed in a number of years. Uh, you're not alone, but um, it's really not a successful strategy for avoiding financial difficulties, not filing your taxes. You know, Even if you know that you owe CRA money, it's always better to file. Mm-hmm. Um, CRA does take extreme collection measures once you've got a balance owing, but they'll take even more extreme measures to compel you to file your taxes, including potentially calling for your arrest. Now, I've never seen someone thrown in jail for not filing taxes, but I have seen a lot of people threatened that our next step is we will be throwing you in jail unless you get these tax returns filed. So, be awful. Yeah. So typically, um, you know, 
try to file your taxes every year, even if you owe money, you're not solving anything by avoiding a tax filing. Now, not talking to people who you owe money to, who your debtors, that's, I know some people think that that's a good idea. It can be, but this is just the whole idea. It's a warning sign. So typically, you know, you talk to your creditors if you knew the situation was okay. And oh yeah, I just missed this payment this month. I'm going to catch it up next month. That's a phone call you're fine to have. But if you find that you're screening every single phone call, every single text message from your creditors, because you know it's something that you won't have a good answer to to, to say, you know, they want a payment and you can't make it. Um, that's another warning sign to consider all following under avoidance or falling under avoidance. You know, the last one under this bucket as well, Elaine, is just the idea of not sharing your financial situation with those people that are closest with you, with your family, with your significant other, with your spouse, for example. Uh, if you're keeping things to yourself, not talking about your financial difficulties, that's a warning sign um, that there could be some financial challenges coming your way. Okay. So what's the next sort of big warning sign that has a whole bunch of other little pieces to it? Yeah, the, the second one is is what we just call adding to your debt. So it's the whole idea of how do you get yourself out of a hole? Well, the first thing you do is you stop digging. And that can be so tough to do when you find yourself in debt. But what you need to do um, is to really find out, am I adding to my debt every month? And if you are, well, that's a big warning sign that things aren't moving in the right direction. So, you know, a couple ways that this can show itself, you know, one is are you relying on credit to bridge the gap between your cost of living and your income? Is every month, you know, there's more month left over than there is money. And then it's a credit card that comes out and basically saves the day and and puts the balance on. If you're doing that regularly, obviously your balances are going to go up every month. Right. What about your, I know that we, we get inundated with the ads for the payday loan people. Mm-hmm. That can't be good. That can't be good. That's exactly, that's probably the <laughs> nicest way we can say that, is that it can't be good. Uh, what we find is, you know, if you needed a payday loan for one discreet, you know, uh, one time you knew it was going to get paid back right away, okay, that's what they can be great for. But our challenge is that it's a borrowing cycle that often starts. You get the one payday loan, and then when it comes time to pay that one back, you don't have the funds to pay it back. So you take out a second one to pay off the first, and so on and so forth. So be very worried if you're taking that first payday loan, if you don't have a plan to pay it back right away, you could fall into that cycle, that trap even, of having multiple payday loans at once. Or paying for that using another thing that just accumulates more debt too. Well, that's exactly it. So that's a, another kind of sub point to this warning sign, Elena, is using credit to pay credit. So just shuffling money from one card to another, you know, trying to make a minimum on one with credit cards from another, um, you're just postponing the inevitable day when you have to face your debts head on. And if you're thinking about a consolidation loan, thinking, okay, well, if I just had one thing to pay this all off, that might be the answer. That's considered a warning sign too. It can be. Um, now, most of the time, people think a consolidation loan is going to be a savior. Um, the challenge is a lot of people will try to get a consolidation loan, but they can't qualify because they've already got a ton of debt. They don't have a whole lot of assets or their income isn't sufficiently high. So, you know, quite often a consolidation loan, the fact that you're seeking one out means that there's a bit of a warning sign with what's going on at home. Um, and it's kind of the, the, the issue that it's often a solution that doesn't solve a problem. You're not able to get the consolidation loan. So people get a little bit more depressed um, at the end of it that they haven't moved forward. So I know that you've got a ton of experience in this. Does it make sense, uh, or if someone's able to make payments towards uh, your debt, that it that can sometimes throw them off to seeing how serious the situation actually is? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's the whole, this fallacy of, you know, minimum payments, the fallacy being that it's actually getting you somewhere, you know, doing something is, is not the same as doing anything. So, you know, when you're paying your minimum payment each month, oftentimes I sit down with clients and we look at, okay, you paid $200, $190 of that just evaporated. That was your interest charge, your finance charges, you know, everything's going to reoccur next month. So sometimes people do get that really false sense of, um, of achievement or sense of accomplishment or sense that things are okay, because all I'm doing is paying my minimums each month. And that's just not the Designed to get you out of debt. Right. And do the credit card people actually tell you how long it's going to take you to pay off your debt? They do, and bless their heart for doing so. Really? Um, because it's a disclosure. <laughs> now it's, you know, and sometimes it's on the front page, sometimes it's on the last page, big or small font, but it is there in every card across Canada. It says, you know, if you only make this minimum payment, um, here's how long it's going to take you to get out of debt. Um, and the numbers just get scary really quickly. So, you know, sometimes $6,000 can be upwards of 40 years, four zero, 40 years to pay off um, if you're just making minimum payments. Right. Right. This I thought this was pretty interesting um, that the, the statistics you had from 2018 about people who make a consumer proposal or filed a personal bankruptcy uh, around that idea of making minimum payments. Mm-hmm. So that was actually really interesting to us um, in that a lot of people saw that as their own warning sign. Um, they said, you know, that was their indicator that they knew they had a debt problem in that all, they knew all they could do was pay the minimums and that wasn't getting them, you know, far enough to pay the debts off. So the fact that that was close to 60% of our most recent survey of our clients um, leads us to believe that, yeah, people are getting a little bit more up to speed saying that minimum payments are designed to keep you in debt, not get you out of debt. Um, but what's kind of perverse to this is that it actually preserves a good credit rating. So when you make your minimum payments every month, um, you know, as long as you're not going delinquent on other accounts, typically your credit rating is going to be okay because, you know, you're giving a positive story. There was a minimum obligation. You paid that minimum obligation, even if that's year two of, you know, 38 more to go to pay off this debt, um, but your credit rating might look fine. Right. It's uh, crazy. It's, that, that always confounds me when you talk about that. I just think, oh, that's just such, that just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I know it makes logical sense, but, you know, in terms of a good good thing to use as your barometer, mm-hmm. not good. Um, and, and with all of these cases, we talk about the emotional impact that yeah. this can have. If you're thinking about A, B, C, and D all the time, that's stressful. Yeah, it's, you know, there's no one that walks into my door. You know, they often walk out happy-go-lucky, very pleased, uh, but there's no one that walks in just very nonchalant about their debt. You can see it written all over their face, uh, all over the way they carry themselves, that, you know, debt stress is real stress, and, you know, it can lead to a bunch of physical ailments, you know, emotional issues, relationship issues, um, you know, just a ton of things that can really happen to you as a result of of being in debt. Um, So, you know, types of symptoms, like if you're constantly worrying about your debts, um, upward of 70% of folks in our most recent survey, when we asked them, you know, how often do you worry about your debt? Is this something, you know, you can just put away corner of your mind, pick it up once a month and think about it? No, it was the worry is constant all day, every day. I'm worried about my debts. Mm-hmm. So if you're feeling that, that's obviously a big warning sign. Um, being scared or anxious about your financial situation. So a lot of people that come into me, the reason why they're so scared and anxious is they know they're in a tough situation, uh, but they really lack two key pieces of knowledge. They lack the knowledge of what can actually happen to them? What can creditors do? Mm-hmm. Can they show up the next day and start carting off their furniture, take their firstborn? You know, some people don't know that that's not possible. Yeah. You know, are they going to be in court next month and thrown in jail? You know, some people have no idea that owing money in Canada is never something that's going to get you thrown in jail, but they're worried about that. So they don't know what creditors can do to them. But the other side of it, they have no idea what they can do to actually deal with the situation. And that's where you guys come in. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So the number of folks that I meet with and, you know, quite often I'm able to explain to them, you know, here's a bankruptcy, here's a proposal, um, here's some extra coaching, here's some counseling on what you can actually do to deal with the situation. You know, quite often they're able to figure out a solution that doesn't include filing for a bankruptcy or a proposal, but does include them feeling a whole lot more confident about what their options are, what the situation is, what they could potentially do to move forward. And I like the idea that you mentioned the counseling part, because I think that's a pretty significant piece of the work that you do that, Mm -hmm. that licensed insolvency trustees that Sands and Associates does when somebody comes in the door is that debt counseling. And mm-hmm. there's an emotional uh, and a, 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 a mental component to it, as well as a real uh, nuts and bolts down on the paper. This is what you need to do in mm-hmm. order to not get into that situation again. Yeah. And that that's just a core part of what we do for every client. So anybody that has to file a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal, uh, the government requires they come in for two financial counseling sessions. They sit down with the trustee. They're typically, you know, 30 minutes to an hour in length. Uh, we try to understand what are the background, what's the situation, the warning signs that perhaps you saw or you didn't see that got you to this position. And then the second counseling session is all about the future. You know, what do you do from here? How do you rebuild your credit? How do you avoid being in this situation in the future? And how do you have a really good early warning system, a detector for seeing if these warning signs are happening, you can head them off, get some help early on so that you don't suffer for so long. Sands-trustee.com is just chock-a-bock chock-a-block full of good information, lots of questions, lots of good answers. Uh, Or if you're just ready to get started on that debt-free plan now, uh, book your confidential free debt consultation with a local Sands & Associates professional. Just give them a call toll-free at 1-800-661-3030 or, like I said, visit the website at sands-trustee.com. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. On the line with us right now, Richard Moxley, a Canadian author, a terrific book. It's called The Nine Rules of Credit, How to Start, Rebuild, and Always Maintain Great Credit. He's kind of focused full-time on helping us Canadians fix, understand, and improve our credit. Uh, He's been published in the Globe and Mail. He's been on television, uh, both CBC and Global. He's all over the place. Uh, Very accomplished guy, Richard. We're so happy to have you on the show today. Well, thank you. Um, What's the the topic for today is... um, You've helped so many people, Richard, uh, figure out their credit rating. Have you got some? Have you got some stories that you can share with us about uh, the the situation the folks were in and and uh, and how they sort of maneuvered their way through? Because I know that you've had lots of contact with people. Oh yeah, I got lots of stories, and the great part about this is uh, my wife is tired of hearing about it, so now perfect. I get to uh, have a captive audience. Perfect, <laughs> perfect. So, Recorded and played over the, dinner, even. Yeah, there you go. Played over. Over and over. Um, so, w- one of the the biggest things, or one of probably the most entertaining uh, stories that I have, is a girl had to read my book and called me up, and she was she, she wasn't rude, but she was a little um, upset. She said, "You know, I'm following these rules of credit, but I still can't get a credit card." And and she told me the the credit card company that she had applied with, and it just really didn't make sense that that she wouldn't get approved. And so I, I said, well, let, let's grab your credit reports. We'll take a look and see what's going on. Uh, well, I figured out the reason real quick, and that reason was that she was dead. 
<laughs> and so uh, she actually, on her credit report, her Equifax report, it was reporting her as if she had passed away. Oh. And so you can see why a credit card company would not approve her for additional credit. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, we were able to get that rectify. Um, so now I, I put on my business cards, you know, I can bring people back from the dead. Which is nice. Kind of fun, but that's quite a talent. Credit wise, just credit wise, that's all I can do. But as, uh, that that was definitely a not a common one, but a, a funny one. Well, it's interesting that you touch on that, Richard, because in in our practice at Sands and Associates, um, I almost can say there's more credit reports with errors than there are ones without errors. Um, I pull yeah. mine every year, and I find new addresses, new employers, things that have nothing to do with me. And I can understand there's so many millions of Canadians and millions of data points. Uh, but even I have clients phone me and say, "Hey, this debt was in my bankruptcy." Why? it's still reporting and we go through and we help them correct it but i think people have to know you know you're just because it's on your credit rating doesn't mean it's true yes yeah it definitely happens now i'm going to ask a rookie question here you guys yes. how easy is it to check your credit rating so t- to check the credit if you have a credit card with your name on it yeah. is essentially pr- pretty easy uh i'm i i should uh preface that I, when i did it uh, to show some consumers how to do it. I did a video explaining how and, and to go through the ins and outs. And, and actually, to be honest, it took me 40 minutes to grab my own credit report off of the, the, the consumer websites. Uh, so it, it, it kind of depends. Um, okay. We actually just did it not too long ago, and it seems to have improved a little bit, but it kind of depends on on who you are and, and, and the day of the week. Got it. <laughs> Fair enough. That's, yeah. a, that's yeah. a good enough answer for me. So one of the other... Uh, common, much more common, and you had kind of uh, made reference to it, but uh, uh, Blair, I, I had a client that had called me up, and he had got my name from a trustee, and the the problem he was facing was that he was getting declined for mortgage financing. So he was originally approved, but then something showed up on his credit report, and he had already waived conditions, so now he was on the hook for the mortgage. And then this error came up, and it was costing him a lot of panic and a lot of headache. And if we didn't get it corrected, would essentially cost him and his parents probably about forty thousand wow. uh, dollars with different fees and and uh, payout penalties and and different things. And he had to get his parents involved because he had no way of doing it. And of course, his parents love him and and want to help. And so. Now they were on the hook, and that was stressing him out even more because mm. he felt like he was being taken advantage of, but he didn't see any other way to avoid the lawsuit that would have came from running away from the mortgage financing. So he gave me a call, and I was really glad that he did because it was errors that had been left over from a proposal that he had entered into. And after three years, everything in a proposal can be removed. So the public record and any creditors that were included can be forced off the credit report. The problem is, is that a lot of times that doesn't happen. And so that's where I was able to get involved. And within two days, we got everything corrected. And within a couple more days, he was able to get approved for best rates with a major bank. Wow. So to give you an idea, he was going to be charged 8% with the lender because of where he was at, but because we were able to get the errors off, he then qualified with a major bank and was down to 
2.75%. So you can imagine he was pretty happy. <laughs> yeah, I hope he left you a nice Google review on that one. <laughs> that, he did, actually. Yeah. He's been great, and he's been sending all his, uh, you know, the the, the mortgage broker, because uh, he had three of them uh, that he had kind of gone through to try and find a solution. Uh, they were all uh, pretty amazed, and then the real estate agent, for sure, and so I've been getting lots of good uh, referrals from them. Well, and I think part of it, too, is the calls that I get when it's about a credit rating, it's almost always urgent because they are literally yeah. in the mortgage broker's office or the bank's office or things like that. And for the average person that wants to correct something quickly, are they able to do that, Richard, or do they need to work with someone like yourself, a professional, to get really quick results if it's an urgent situation? Yeah, and essentially that's why I started eCreditFix, which is uh, the full-time company that I do to remove errors and fraud. And there are avenues for people or the consumers to, to try and fix a credit report themselves. And you can definitely try that. Um, but if you're trying to get it done in a hurry, for sure, uh, this is something that I've never seen happen. Uh, they generally take anywhere between two to six months on average. Is oh, wow, kind of what weeks, months. My clients have told me. Yeah, a month. Okay. And so if, if you're in the thick of mortgage financing, uh, this is not a time frame that generally works well. And my history with mortgage financing really helped because I, I understand the process and because I know the lenders, I know the banks, I, I can talk with the broker or the, the mortgage specialist and, and I can interact with them and take it off the hands of the consumer so they don't have to try and be the third party or try and guess what's happening. And we're just down to about you know the last few minutes or so, Richard. I wonder, would you want to give our, our listeners a sense of what services do you provide just in, in a few seconds here? Yeah, you bet. So th- there's really two major services that I provide. So when it comes to credit score, if, if you're wanting to learn the rules of credit, what affects the credit score, then I can, I can do that for you. We can grab copies of the credit reports or you can provide them with me, uh, provide them to me, and then we can go through them in detail. I share my screen with you. You ask questions. I give you the answer. I'll ask questions just to make sure everything's correct. And then the other service that I provide is removing errors and fraud off the credit reports. So if you have something where you've tried to get it off or the whole financial situation is just where you you just don't want to deal with it at all, then I can help a lot or a little, however, however you want me to get involved. But I, I do have direct access to Equifax and TransUnion, where you would call Equifax and get the Philippines. <laughs> I get the actual Equifax people in here here in Canada, and they know me very well <laughs> because that's all I do. And we we get things done much faster than trying to get it done through the, the typical, typical scenario. Richard, what's the best way for uh, someone to reach you? How, how, how's the best way to do that? The, probably the best way is email. Um, so you can find all my contact information at ecreditfix.ca. Great. And then uh, my email is just info at ecreditfix.ca. Uh, and my toll-free number is on the website as well. Excellent. Uh, so keep that in mind. ecreditfix.ca is the website to get a hold of Richard. Uh, Richard uh, Moxley, author of a book called The Nine Rules of Credit, How to Start, Rebuild, and Always Maintain Great Credit. He's on uh, Facebook and Twitter and all over the place. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. 
So we're going to talk about some resources, which I think is always a really important thing to give people. Mm -hmm. Uh, It helps them figure things out, and if they can't, then they still know where to go for more answers. And these are four debt help resources that everybody should know about. Yeah, and I think it's everybody should know, but most people don't know. And that's what I, I love so much about this show and about my, my day-to-day job is quite often I'm giving people information that they look at me like, well, why didn't anybody else tell me this? Exactly. And why don't I know about this? And this can really help me. Um, so for today, yeah, we're going to talk about four things that you probably aren't aware of all of them or even some of them. Uh, but in certain situations and certain um, you know times in a person's life, these can be pretty important to help you through a tough time. Really important, especially the first one. There's actually a statute of limitations on your debt. Now, I'm sure there's lots of criteria that that we're going to talk about, but Mm -hmm. that's interesting in and of itself. Yeah, and and let's talk about, you know, what is a statute of limitations? You know, most people understand a statute of limitations means that if something happens, there's a set period of time where you've got to take some action or you you lose the right to ever take that action. So if you think about, um, you know, some basic crimes, you know, there might be a statute of limitation of 10 years. If no one brings forth there was this crime committed, um, you know, within 10 years, you can't bring it forth after that. Exactly. Now, with debt, it's actually the same thing, but the statute of limitations is quite short, and most people are stunned to know the statute of limitations for debt in BC is two years. That's amazing. Not a long time, so right? So in, in, really, in really simple terms, that means that if I owe someone... Mm-hmm. Or and this would be an institution mm-hmm. like a, a big entity. Yeah, anybody not except for the government. You, yeah. anybody except for the government, essentially. Yeah, right. Um, that you, let's say, you're the person I owe, mm-hmm. or you're the group I owe. You have two years to make it known that I owe that money. Essentially, yeah. I've got two years where I can force you to pay. And by force, that means I can take you to court and then the court will give me an order where I can take your assets or take your wages. That's really the only way that people are ever forced to pay their debts is if they're sued in a court of law. And you being the creditor, the person that's owed that money, you have to bring that lawsuit within two years of the person's last payment or written acknowledgement of the debt. If you try to bring that lawsuit and it's been three years or five years or seven years, or people call me all the time with these really old debts that are just harassing them and threatening to sue them. And I say, well, you know what? Call their bluff. Say, okay, go ahead and sue me. And as long as you haven't paid that debt within two years, your defense will be one line and you'll win every single time. It's this is statute barred because it's beyond the two-year statute of limitations. Now, you, now there is a piece though. Let's say I react or let's say I start to pay that debt. Uh-huh that's when that that statute's negated is what I'm thinking. That's what you have to be really careful about. So, um, you know, if the debt's already past the two-year statute of limitations, nothing you do can reset that as long as there's okay. been that two-year gap. Um, but let's say it's been, you know, 18 months or 22 months or something like that since you've last paid and you're not aware that you're coming close to this two-year period, you can bet the collection agency and the banks, they are aware. And oftentimes the last couple months there, they'll be incredibly nice to you and they'll say, you know what, we're all good people here. Why don't you just make me a $5 payment or a $10 payment? Okay. Some good faith payment where you really think, okay, they're, they're working with me here. They want me to get out of this too. Okay, well, of course I'll come to the table. I'm an honest person. I borrowed this money. And what you've done then for the 5 or $10 payment is you've reset that statute of limitations and you've given them another two years where they can hold hold essentially a sword of Damocles over your head and then decide that they're either going to sue you or not, but that you reset that two-year clock. Okay. What if I just acknowledge, not give you anything, not Mm -hmm. pay any money, but just acknowledge, yes, you're right, I do owe that money. Does that 
change it? Well, it depends. Now, the law says if it's a written acknowledgement, then yes, that does reset the statute of limitations. So if you're sent something, hey, can you please affirm this debt? Um, First off, I'd be saying, well, why would you ever sign something like that? What's the benefit to you? But yeah, if you were to sign something that says, yeah, I affirm that I owe this money, that also resets the statute of limitations. Okay. Is there anything else that you want to make sure that we know about on the the statute? Well, I guess a couple things that just aren't included here. So it's pretty all-encompassing, but as we talked about very briefly, government debt is not a part of this. So if you owe the government money for income taxes, GST, student loans, whatever it may be, there's no statute of limitations. They're going to be able to take future tax returns. They don't even have to take you to court to force you to pay. So this is not a strategy that can work for government debt. Also, uh, a couple other things, if you've already been sued, so if someone within that two-year period has taken you to court and they've gotten an order against you, well, that order is not subject to the two-year statute. They've already been to court and they've gotten their victory at that point, but that's pretty rare. Very few, few people ever get sued. And the last thing, and this just speaks to common sense, you know, as in with a bankruptcy, if you had child support obligations or things like that and you didn't pay them, you can't get out of that in a bankruptcy. Same thing with the statute of limitations. There's no nothing for child support, alimony, those debts aren't subject to statute. Okay, fair enough. Mm-hmm. All right, number two, request for communication in writing only. And we've talked about this before, and mm-hmm. I love this one. So explain it. Yeah, so this means, you know, essentially if a collection agency is calling you, it's usually not a good time in your life. You know, a collection agency gets involved after you've been at least 90 days delinquent on your payments. Um, you've probably got a lot of things going on. And generally, most people, if they could have paid the debt, they would have paid it already before the collection agency got involved. So what can be really tough is you getting phone calls, sometimes from 7 a.m. till 9 p.m. at night, sometimes 15, 20 calls a day. And while some collection agents are very nice and you know good to deal with, they've got a job to do and others really specialize in fear, intimidation, and all of those things. So the point of what we're telling you here today is you don't have to consent to those phone calls. There's a form called a request for communication in writing only that the province of BC puts out in a standard format. And by sending that form to anybody who's calling you about your debt, they can no longer call you. Period. It's that simple. That simple. You just and remove what if, your consent. And what if they what if they keep on it? Well, as I tell all of my clients, you know, they're going to try to find every way under the world to say that they never got this letter. So you fax it. You keep a copy of the fax confirmation or you send it by registered mail. You keep a copy of that. The next time you call, you say two things. First off, by the way, I am recording this call mm-hmm. and I encourage people to do that with collection agents. They are recording your call. So why not do the same thing? And just letting them know I'm documenting every contact that you're making after I've sent you this letter. Usually you won't get too many calls after that. And if you did, if you got more than a couple calls, that's when you phone up Consumer Protection BC and they will take action to enforce this. Okay. And when you say I'm recording this call, you don't actually have to be recording the call. You You just tell them. Yeah, they don't know that. Okay, good. I just want to make sure because I don't want somebody to go, oh, I can't do that. I don't know how to record a call. Yeah. You know, if if you had your iPhone, you could do it with a a voice memo, but let's not get everyone to be nefarious here. But generally it just gets people to know that, hey, you're somebody that knows their legal rights and they're not respecting a part of the law right now by them calling you. So you're saying, by the way, I'm making a record of what you're doing of not respecting the law. And usually that gets people to dance pretty smartly. Sure. And uh, and hang up or whatever it is they need to do next. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just send me a letter. You know what? I'm going to look at everything you have to say here. But the way I do business is when it's written down on a page, I don't deal with people calling me on the phone. That's everybody's right in BC with regards to debt. Fair enough. And you say in BC, is it different across the country in different provinces? Yeah. I'm it only is. aware that BC has this type of a consent. Um, oh, I'm not aware. I'm from Ontario originally. I know collection agencies, yeah, they would call morning, 
noon and night, and I wasn't aware of how to stop them. Okay, fair enough. Now, access your credit report for free. Mm -hmm. There's a whole bunch of ways to get your credit report these days, right? There's apps, there's all kinds of things, Mm -hmm. kinds of ways to do it. But you can do it and it won't cost you a thing. Yeah, so definitely there's a bunch of online businesses where you can go and some of them are free, but nothing's really free in this world as we learned with you know Facebook and data and everything. Right. If something's free, <laughs> you are the product. So imagine what you're giving up when you give somebody access to give you your free credit report. Yes. Um, but there are a few places you can do it online, but you generally get a very limited credit report and you get a credit score, which is basically fictional because a lot of lenders use their own algorithms to basically get their own credit score. So I don't find there's a whole lot of value in those, but if you want your long-form credit report, the one that runs you know, 10 pages plus, usually includes your past addresses, your past accounts, um, you can go online, you can pay 20 or $30 to each of the credit bureaus to get it instantly, or you know, they won't make this easy for you to find, but we've got the form on our website. You can send in a one-page form with a copy of your ID front and back, and they will send you your long-form credit report at least once a year uh, at no charge to you. Okay, and I want to add that you say it's really important Mm -hmm. to know what it is that's out there because often it's not accurate. Yeah, almost always there's something that needs to be cleaned up, whether it's a weird address, a weird account, something not reporting correctly, and the time to clear it up is not when you're sitting in the mortgage broker's office or at the car dealership or something and they're saying, oh, we'd love to approve you, but there's this, this, this on your credit, which is going to take some time to clear up. So do you do it once once a year or twice a year? Once Once a year. I think is great. Uh, yeah. you know, pick a certain time of the year, whether it's spring cleaning or, or something right. like that, and just send away for it. It'll come back in a couple weeks. And generally, it's pretty intuitive and easy to read. There's a lot of jargon there, but you'll see every account, you'll see a certain status. Um, and most of them have a little bit of a legend at the end that says, you know, R1 means this. R1 is usually you're paying everything on time. Right. You know, R7 is you're in a consumer proposal or something like that. So it shouldn't be too tough for you to figure out how to read it. And then you'll know if there's some crazy thing like a Discover card or an Amex or something something you've just never had that account, well, then you basically send an inquiry to the credit bureau and get them to clean that up. Good. Okay. And the fourth one, government debt forgiveness. Now, you talked about that government's you know, if you owe money to the government, mm-hmm. it's, there's no statute of limitations yeah. on that. Yeah, there's no waiting them out. No, mm-hmm. you can't do that. So what? So what's this one for? Yeah, so this is to say that there is hope. You can make a deal <laughs> with the government. Um, a lot of the time we get our news from down south in the U.S. where if you owe income taxes or student loans, you go through a bankruptcy or their equivalent of a proposal and they come out the other side still owing everything to the government. It doesn't solve the problem. Right. In Canada, government debt is treated the same as every other debt. So if you you do a consumer proposal, which we talk about a lot on the show. It's a great option. Usually you offer to pay back about a third, maybe a half of the debt. You pay no interest, no additional charges, and nobody can bother you while you're making those payments. And at the end of the proposal, if you've even paid off just a third or half of the debt, the entire debt is discharged. The entire debt goes away. Okay. And and if I file bankruptcy mm-hmm. instead of the consumer proposal, same situation? Exactly. I was just going to go there. Oh, exactly good. that, Elaine. So both remedies, a consumer proposal and a bankruptcy, there are different means of getting to the same end, which yeah. is you can deal with government debt. You can turn things around. Yeah. And if you don't know what a consumer proposal is, just stay tuned because we're for sure going to be talking about it uh, in, the, in the show. Excellent. So mm-hmm. listen, if any of this information is resonating with you, and if you'd like more information, I know your website is 
awesome. First of all, I'll give you the address at sands-trustee.com. Mm-hmm. You cover so much good information on that website. Yeah, there's tons of frequently asked questions. Um, I'm really proud of a lot of our YouTube stuff. So if you go on our YouTube channel or even on our website, there's a ton of YouTube videos you can click through. We've got animated videos. We've got some client case studies of people in their own words telling their journey about going through being in debt, having us help them and how their life is better off in the future. And we even have a, a, a couple of seconds to include, if you've got a question, if you've got mm-hmm. something that you'd really like us to talk about on the show, how does somebody do that? Yeah, if they just send an email to info, I-N-F-O, at sans, S-A-N-D-S, hyphen, trustee, T-R-U-S-T-E-E, just send to info at sans-trustee.com. It'll come directly to me and Elaine will talk about it on a future show. State your question, state why it is, and it's you're good to go so we'll be able to cover it. Uh, You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates helping you get out of debt. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So, and I think this is a really great segment because we we, th- we don't throw the term around, but we use the term a lot in the show, licensed insolvency trustee. Mm-hmm. And and I know that that people can go, what 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 did they just say? What's that? Yeah. And it's and it's not a well, it's sort of a new term, right? Yeah, last two to three years. Yeah. Two to three years. Yeah. So you're not completely out of it by not knowing what it means, but mm-hmm. it's been around for a bit. So let's talk about why and what happens when I go to your office. To meet you. Yeah. So why does somebody come and see a licensed insolvency trustee? Well, there's a myriad of reasons. It's almost the same number of reasons of why people get into debt. You know, usually things were going great and then something happened. So, you know, maybe somebody got sick, uh, maybe they lost their job or quite often a relationship broke down, marriage or common law, and that can be very expensive. So normally comes someone comes in to see an LIT when they're facing a financial crisis in their life. You know, quite often collection collectors are calling, um, you know, maybe their wages are being threatened to being seized or maybe some assets are at risk. So it's often when people just feel like they don't know where to turn, uh, but they know they've got a debt problem that seems insurmountable, that's the right time to make a call to an LIT. Now, lots of people think that if I'm going to see a licensed insolvency trustee, emphasis insolvency, Mm -hmm. I'm going in to file for bankruptcy. And that's not necessarily the case. No, and that's why a lot of people suffer so long in silence. And it's uh, two years is typically what people tell me is from when they knew they had a problem, they knew they needed some help to when they finally walked in my door. And when I asked them why, it's a lot of fear and it's a lot of misunderstanding. So for two thirds of people that see me, we don't file a bankruptcy. We file a consumer proposal instead. And most of those people that came in that end up filing proposals, they didn't even know that solution existed until they walked in the door. They essentially accepted, okay, I'm going to be bankrupt. This is going to be the worst day of my life. And then I'm able to show them another alternative um, just in even that, that first meeting. Okay. So how do I, how do I find you? Like, mm-hmm. how do I go and see you? Yeah. Do you need a referral? Do you have to work through anybody yeah. like that? Does somebody and, need to send me to you? And yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and the answer is it's as easy as, you know, you look up online in the phone book, whatever works to connect directly with a trustee. There's no middleman that you ever need. So a lot of the times people will, they'll go to your their accountant or their, um, their lawyer or a family friend, or sometimes even if you can believe a Canada Revenue Agency is a great referral source for us because they'll say to somebody, you know, I don't want to have to continue to collect like this. I know you've got to provide for your family, but I've got to go and try to 
take these payments from you. Why don't you go see a licensed insolvency trustee because it's regulated, it's safe, and all of that. What you need to really guard against is paying somebody. So you don't need to pay an advisor, you don't need to pay a consultant, you don't need to pay anybody else to get a consumer proposal or to file a bankruptcy. You just need to come to see a trustee directly. Because in actual fact, a consumer proposal, if that's what if that's what you're thinking is going to assist you, nobody but a licensed insolvency trustee can negotiate the terms for that. That's right. Regardless of what anybody tells you, yeah. nobody can except for the thousand or so in this country that mm-hmm. do that work. That's right. And I see so many um, you know, different consultants or individuals and they pop up all the time and I can tell what they're advertising is a consumer proposal. And I know for certain that I'm a trustee and I can file it and they can't. Um, but I know there will be a bunch of fees that'll be charged to an individual who sees them for help. And then eventually they'll get introduced to some trustee who will do the same proposals they would have done if the person had walked in off the street. Oh. But the person might have spent, you know, a low of a few hundred to a high of a few thousand dollars thinking that they had to pay an extra professional. You don't. You can come straight to a trustee. Okay. So what happens now? I know that that what we what we say when we introduce the segments is that there's a free consultation. Yeah. Make the appointment. I'm going to come and see you. And uh, it's it's really an information session. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the first meeting, it's an informal consultation, as you said, Elaine. And people still do have a lot of fear because they don't know what they're walking into. No. Um, they don't know if they're going to be judged. They don't know if it's going to be someone looking down their nose across the table saying, well, gee, how could you be so stupid to be in that situation? Right. I'd never do that. And it's it's nothing like that. So a free consultation, uh, it's a person-to-person conversation. So at Sands & Associates, our ethos is we treat everybody as if they were a close member of our family with the same level of compassion and respect. So when someone comes in off the out through the door to see me, I ask, you know, how's your day going and what brings you in here today? And usually that's all I need to say is what brings you in to start to hear exactly how much debt is impacting their life. And sometimes it's a 10-year journey of, you know, a business has failed and they did the best they could. Sometimes it's very fresh. They've just been sued a couple days ago and now their wages are going to be taken. But in that first consultation, we book it for about an hour, usually 45 minutes to an hour. We try to cover about four big areas and they're all very logical things. So if anyone's thinking about a consultation, here's the main questions I'm going to ask. So, you know, first off, let's talk about the debts. So who do you owe money to and approximately how much? And if you don't know that, then we'll help you, you know, try to pull a credit report or or get some information, but usually it's a good idea to have a bit of a sense of who you owe money to. Uh, we're going to talk about your assets because if there's a case, you've got you know, a house with no mortgage and you only owe a few thousand dollars, which never happens. No one comes in like that, but <laughs> then I'll explain to you, here's how you can use some assets to pay down debts and then you'll be, you'll be better off. Um, so we talk about your debt, talk about your assets, and then we talk about your monthly budget. So we want to understand what are the sources of income in the household, who lives at home, what are the obligations, just to figure out what is the ability to service debt because you've got to live first. You've got to pay rent, you've got to pay groceries, all of that, and there's got to be enough money there to service debt um, or else w- what are we doing here, right? Exactly. So we want to find a solution that's really going to help the person move forward that's going to fit into their budget. And everybody's a little bit different. Their situation, their circumstances a little bit different. I also wanted to throw in, we've met a lot of, uh, by doing this show, we've met a lot of the folks that work for uh, for Sands and Associates and, mm-hmm. and each of them is just, you know, thoughtful and kind and really just wanting to 
give you a hand with whatever it is you need a hand with. Yeah. Um, so if you don't get to see Blair, don't worry, because there's a whole bunch of people that are awesome that oh, work yeah. for the company. And, and thank you for that, Elaine. Yeah, there are people that are as good or better than me in the firm who've even been doing the work for longer than me. And I think it's, it's a job you can't last in this unless you genuinely care about people, you genuinely care about their story and about their situation. Uh, if you're just in this to, you know, to try to do rapid fire, get people in and out, people will feel that and they won't come back. Exactly. So we've been very successful because we look at the entire person, the entire situation. If we've got the solution, great. If we don't, then we'll help you find the, the person that does. Now, what are the some of, some of the solutions that you talk with a prospective uh, person coming in the door? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we'll run through the gamut depending on the size of the problem and, and what their objectives are. You know, we'll talk about, can you negotiate with the creditors informally? If it's one or two people you owe money to, can you work out some terms that'll help you, you know, avoid having to use us, but can give you a bit of breathing room? Uh, we'll talk to them about debt consolidation, which we cover on a few segments to, to various shows here about where that could be an option, but it can be difficult to qualify for, and it can also drive some bad behavior, so you've got to be careful. Uh, we talk about consumer proposals and personal bankruptcy in quite a bit of depth. I would say everybody that comes into us, if we've got enough information, you'll leave with a, basically a quote of what a bankruptcy would look like if you chose to go forward and what a consumer proposal could look like. We can put all that together if you give us the right information, even in the first meeting. Now, what about um, some other tips when it comes? To, sort of, this is more the human side of it that mm-hmm. you uh, that you want to give folks yeah. if they ha- if they're putting off coming in to see you. Yeah, the number one thing that that people say is, I have nobody that calls me, and I've been doing this work for thirteen years. I don't think I've ever gotten a call of someone who regretted filing a consumer proposal, or sometimes people regret filing a bankruptcy and wish they had filed a proposal, but everyone that I speak to seems to regret waiting so long. Why did I suffer for so long? Why did I not know what was going on? Why did I listen to collectors? Why did I, you know, cash in my RRSPs or borrow from friends and family? There's a bunch of mistakes that people can make along the way if they procrastinate and they don't get the information from the right source right up front. And part of that comes from anxiety, from feeling of shame, embarrassment, all of that. Mm -hmm. And you guys put that all to rest. Yeah, I'd say people within the first two or three minutes of sitting down with us, they'll realize the shame was left at the door. The judgment never entered our office here. We're just people looking for a solution. And part of the, the, that piece is meeting them in person. And yeah. you, make that a, you make that a significant piece and that's of a, this process. That's a huge differentiator between a trustee and somebody else who's not licensed, an advisor or a credit counselor. A lot of the reason why people go to credit counselors or to advisors is because they will do things over the phone and it can be daunting that you have to come in face-to-face and, and you know literally face somebody and talk about your problem. The law requires that a trustee sees you in person. You cannot file a consumer proposal or file a bankruptcy unless you meet the trustee in person. All the other informal options, they might be more comfortable, but you're going to end up with a worse outcome. So um, I know it can be tough. And if if you can put any faith in what we're saying on the program here, it's genuine. We don't judge. You come in for that first meeting, you will not regret sitting down and starting to get some help. And you may come up with a whole bunch of questions that you hadn't thought of before Mm -hmm. when you're in that conversation to, to take a look at it all and start. Listen, if any of this information is resonating with you or or for someone you know uh, give sans and well first of all go to the website sans-trustee.com it's fabulous there's tons of questions and answers there and give them a call 1-800-661-3030 and get that first free consultation as well find an office near you the proceeding was a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser the opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of cknw 
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.